listeners, and welcome to an end of year extra extra. It's all about whiskey. We're going to pivot Joshua Hatton, mm-hmm. my co-host, mm-hmm. my whiskey cherub. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to close out the year with a double episode. We're going to record a tight 60. A tight 60. You up for it? I, I am. Let's be clear. It's up to a tight 60. I mean, you know, if this ends up being 45, that's cool. But then again, it's you and I, so it's going to be probably If there's 60. one thing our dear listeners know, there's no chance of us wrapping this up early. Mm, well, either way, it's, it's, it's going to be good fun. And I hate to say it, it will be nice having just that one week off after the new year. We will echo this at the end of today's double episode, but after today, the next episode of Extra Extra that you will see in your pod stream will be January 20th. Mm-hmm. Normally on this show, podcast, podcast, episode, <laughs> Extra Extra, You and I take a news story. One of us brings it to the attention of the other. One of us, whoever brings it, reads it to the other. Mm. And then in the second half of the episode, we riff on it. Today, because we're zigging when we normally zag, we're going to actually do a little bit of catch-up from the last episode. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to jump into this week's story. And we're going to have a bit of fun, a little bit of riffing back and forth, as we read through this week's slightly longer article. But before we get to that, last week we covered the FET. You know me. What does that stand the for again, Jason? FET? Federal Excise Tax. Okay, thank you. It's not and for me, it's for, it's for the listeners, you know. You say that, you say that. <laughs> and... At this time of year, just like this time last year, Mm -hmm. brewers, distillers, I believe winemakers, Mm -hmm. were looking for an extension to the reduced FET that uh, was put in place last year. It has been agreed to, and we covered that last episode, but it hasn't been signed yet, or at least at the time of the last episode. Mm -hmm. And so there was a, a day of action we did our bit to try and get word out, inform consumers that producers producing up to 100,000 gallons annually mm-hmm. were able to apply a reduced FET. And I reached out to Scott Harris mm-hmm. at Catoctin Creek Distilling Company. You and I on the episode had had a little back and forth. Is this from the day you open your doors until you produce your hundred thousandth, uh, it was gallon, proof gallon, proof gallons. Yeah, so that's yeah. Ba- basically a hundred thousand gallons of of pure alcohol. And so we wondered if it was from opening your doors, or if it was annual. And Scott Harris confirmed it is annual production, which is and nice. Yeah, which is quite a lot. You could still be a pretty well-established craft producer and not be reaching 100,000 proof gallons Mm -hmm. annually. Mm -hmm. So that was nice confirmation from Scott. We also, in the One Nation Under Whiskey group, where we also 
post links to the extra extra episodes. Good friend of of both of our podcasts, and and maybe he's a, a Triple M listener these days as well. But David Feldner posted. And I loved his comment. He said, I did some looking on the congressional schedule and they only have two items before they go on break on the 21st. The defence budget and the continuing resolution to keep the government open. I also looked at the bill that extended the tax cut last year. It was brought to the floor in March of last year and wasn't signed until December 20th. I'm not saying that it can't be done, but if it's not already in the pipeline... It's not looking very good. Yeah. And you you and I were a little worried that it might not happen. However, you and I had looked back and said it ran until the 11th hour in 2019. There's a chance it'll run to the 11th hour in 2020. However, we hadn't realized, and this was your response in Facebook to David, we hadn't realized it had been brought to the floor or brought up for debate nine months prior exactly yeah yeah and and that was last year and then this year us not really knowing if or when it had been brought up to congress uh, david feldner's comment filled me with a sense of helplessness and it it did david also because his follow-up to your comment was yeah that's how it looks in terms of this we might be in trouble here if they're just starting now, I think with the current political climate that they're probably out of luck. I'll keep my fingers crossed, though. And then he did more than that. And, and we're not going to read this out, but if, if you have a moment uh, over the holiday, I highly recommend going to the One Nation Under Whiskey Facebook group. Not the page, the group. Because David actually reached out to... Uh, a couple of senators. Uh, he also <laughs> reached out to Ted Cruz, uh, who, who I understand is a senator. But the responses that he got to his, hey, do you think there's any chance you guys will take a look at that? The responses made no sense. And he posted the responses and they just make no sense. <laughs> and so so David Feldner and another good friend of, of all of our, our pads, um, Tim Mushaw, they have this wonderful back and forth about, is anybody reading the emails that they're receiving? Yeah. Like, this is just yeah. auto response. Exactly. That's what I was going to say, yeah. So, so about a week ago, and certainly into last week, we were a little nervous. After our episode dropped, we were a little nervous that, that things might not move. Mm -hmm. However, we're starting today's double episode with, and I, I, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing this correctly, good news. Am I saying that correctly? Good news. I, You know, I, I'm trying to navigate through your transatlantic accent but yeah it sounds as if you did say that properly good news man wow well let let's hear it josh i'm i'm gonna allow you to be the bearer of good news i think that's the expression isn't it the bearer of good news yeah yeah no that's if if you've ever heard it said in another way they have said it wrong it's always i i've got to be the bearer of good news yeah, the bearer of good news. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you would then be the the harbinger of good news. I would be the harbinger of good news. Okay, so 
the this is an article from the Spirits Business, which was re- was released today, and we are recording on uh, the twenty first of December. The author is Owen Bellwood, and the headline reads: "Tax cut for distillers." You ready, Jason? To be made permanent. Wow! Do, do we have do we have the sounds of fireworks and popping corks and cannons? Like this feels like our New Year. <laughs> this New Year is not going to be as good as this news. It it doesn't. For some reason, when you started saying that in the back of my head, I could hear Europe's the final countdown. I don't I don't know why. Wow, that's one of my least favorite songs ever made. Anyway, this is extra, extra. This is yeah. not One Nation yeah, Under yeah, Whiskey. No, no, you're right. Get to this damn yeah. news story, Joshua. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. And that is a terrible song. So, tax cut for distillers to be made permanent. The Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act will be made permanent after Congress included the duty cut in its year-end funding legislation package to help businesses recover from the pandemic. Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. Right, right. So, it says, Senate Finance Committee Ranking Member Ron, got to make sure I'm pronouncing his last name right here, Wyden, W-Y-D-E-N, Wyden? Yeah. That's what I would go with, yeah. Who sponsored the bill's reading in Congress said in a statement yesterday, 20th of December, that the Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act, CMTRA, for distillers will be made permanent. The move comes 12 months after the tax cut gained a one-year extension and was due to expire on the 31st of December 2020. The tax cut was first introduced in 2017 and sees the distillers pay $2.70 per proof gallon for the first 100,000 gallons produced in the calendar year. Previously, distilled spirits were taxed at $13.50 per proof gallon. Wow, what, what a massive difference in numbers. Earlier this month, a coalition of trade groups called for an extension of the act. In a statement, Wyden said, quote, Our agreement addresses expiring tax provisions that are critical for families, small businesses, and our clean energy future. In major wins for Oregon, tax incentives I developed for craft brewers, vintners, and distillers are made permanent, and the low-income housing tax credit is expanded to help our state recover from this year's catastrophic wildfires. I've seen firsthand how incentives for craft beverage producers have helped Oregon's small businesses grow, hire, and provide new benefits to their workers. Extending these breaks is especially important given how hard the pandemic has hit these small businesses, end quote. The decision to extend the tax cut for distillers has been welcomed by the trade body, the Distilled Spirits Council of the U.S., also known as Discus, which said the decision provided an economic lifeline, and that was in quotes, by the way, for businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, and that's not an understatement, given what we covered in the last episode. 
And given the hike here, given the financial planning, given the fact they were running up against December 31st with it going into effect on January 1, that is not hyperbole to call that an economic lifeline. Can you imagine having to pay basically five times the amount of tax that you were paying for previously? And that would just go on to the consumer. And then the consumer would say, I'm not going to pay that. And then your business goes under, right? Pretty yep. simple, pretty yep. straightforward. <sighs> All right. The article continues, and we're almost done here, by the way. In a statement, Discus said, quote, this is a huge sigh of relief for struggling craft distillers who have been on pins and needles awaiting the outcome of these discussions. While not yet a done deal, making the reduced tax rates permanent will serve as an economic lifeline for beleaguered small distilleries that have had their tasting rooms shut down for months. Mm -hmm. We will continue to urge Congress to pass this critical piece of legislation which will protect jobs, boost communities, and get these small businesses back on a path of stability and growth, end quote. Both chambers of Congress are due to vote on passing the comprehensive package today, 21st of December. End scene. So, yes. because it's 2020, mm -hmm. our good news is not yet solidified. Hopefully it will be by the time this episode goes live. But as we are recording early on the 21st, we will be tuned in to... This vote <laughs> never yeah. ends, does it? It never ends. <laughs> no, but I, I don't think that there's anything in here that that can't see Republicans dem and sorry Republicans and Democrats coming together over the, this is not a partisan issue at at all. Yeah, and if it no, is, it, something it, is severely wrong. Well, it's it's tax breaks, right? Yeah, there's there's yeah. one side of the aisle uh, likes to sign off on those. I have a much better feeling covering this today than I did when you and I covered it in the last episode. I'm being very honest here. When when I saw the potential for these taxes to go up by the amount that they were about to go up or potentially go up, and just thinking about all of our friends in the industry and all of the mm -hmm. others in the industry we're not friends with that, that we just don't know. You know, these are people who are changed careers, right? They, they put their houses on the line. They put whatever on the line, all they have into this dream. And to have, you know, a, a silly tax law just um, lapse and, and see their costs go up by five times what they were, it would have been terrible. It would have been absolutely terrible. Well, and what was interesting to me in our last episode in covering this was negotiations on this were complete. That The hard work was done on it. Mm -hmm. It was the signing it into law. It was the making it permanent mm -hmm. that was being delayed and then delayed some more. And so imagine putting in all that hard work to not see it come to fruition. And here we are now at the very tail end of 2020, where a vote today 
And this is not something mm -hmm. that craft distillers, brewers, vintners have to worry about at all in 2021. Like one mm -hmm. thing to just take off your plate when you're so busy figuring out how do we get the tasting room reopened? How do we fulfill orders within our states? How do we get people to buy our product off a, a, a liquor store shelf when we're up against the competition of established, well-known brands? It's just one less thing to worry about um, and get yeah. back into the business of making your business a success and supporting your communities. That was one of my key points from the last episode. Mm -hmm. These businesses hire local community members. The money goes back into local communities. Mm -hmm. it's, it's remarkable that we would hang people who are doing that out to dry. It, it makes no sense to me. Hopefully we've got resolution, Joshua. Yeah, um, I, I'm with you. However, I do wonder where these other tax revenues are, are going to come from. You know, whether it's state or federal, our government needs a certain amount of money to function, to provide us with the various services that we take advantage of on a daily, monthly, yearly basis, etc. And so while this is good news for the craft distilling industry, I just wonder who is going to be affected by an increase of taxes. And who knows? We're, we're seeing the potential of of marijuana being, be, recreational marijuana being legal, almost federally. And maybe it'll be there. Maybe it's in road tolls. Like, we, we just don't know. My, my point is, while this is good news for the distilling industry, I wonder where else this tax money is going to come from. Every episode we get to say this, but that's the first quarter in the books. That is the first quarter in the books. Look at that. Yeah. So let's pivot over here to a story that I thought would be kind of a fun way to close out the year. Obviously, we've talked about pandemic. Obviously, we've talked about distillery tasting room closures. We've talked about FET, right? There's there's a lot of things that have had our attention this year. Mm -hmm. But InsideHook.com, who, you know, full disclosure, I've never actually heard of, had uh, a, an important question to close out 2020 that I thought would be a lovely point of discussion for us mm -hmm. in Extra Extra. Mm-hmm. And, and technically, it's your turn to bring an article this week, but we both decided that this was worth spending some time on. So Kirk Miller, in Inside Hook from December 10 mm -hmm. of just this year, asks, is too much whiskey being released? I'm going to pause you there. Before you read this article... Have you asked yourself that question? Oh yes, you have? a lot. Okay, okay. I just, I had yeah, not. Have you? Oh no, really? I 
I always knew there was a lot of whiskey being released, mm. but I never thought to ask, is it too much? I have absolutely been asking this question, okay. which is why when I saw it, mm-hmm. I was kind of like, there's somebody else asking the question that I've been okay. pondering. This okay. is good. Mm-hmm. And then the, the subheading is, even with distilleries we love, the limited edition bottles never seem to end. Mm, okay. So there's a there's a little wrinkle to the question. Instead of just simply have markets grown too big, have exports grown too big, mm-hmm. is there just too much whiskey in your retail store at all times? I think there's a different aspect to the question being asked by Kirk Miller here. Okay, I've got opinions so far. Oh, there's a reason this isn't a double episode. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and so this this is just the... um, There's an an intro paragraph um, that's actually not about the writing itself. It's called, Welcome to Show Me the Proof a column in which we pose big questions to the booze world cognoscenti and ask them to argue the finer points. In our first column, we're tackling an admittedly hashtag first world problem. (laughs) Is there too much whiskey being released? So that's our intro to the article writ large. And and again, this, this is a slightly longer article and so it fit into this longer time slot that we're allocating it. Can I ask a, a, a question here? It says here, we pose big questions to the booze world cognoscenti. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with that word cognoscenti. What, is, what does it's, that mean? It's those who think. The, the, if you think of the Illuminati, mm-hmm. right? This is those who would think about the big questions. Ah, so cog- cogno, like cognitive. There you go. Yep. Right, right. Yeah. right. Those, those who occupy their, their brains mm. by pondering. Well, I appreciate you helping me to operate my brain pondering this word. You're very welcome. I've, I've made a business out of it for 10 years. <laughs> Continue. And please... As we're going through this, this this is reading plus riffing. So this isn't going to be, listen to Jason, read this, and then come back at me. If I have a thought, I'm going to pause. If you have a thought, please pause me. Okay, okay. A few weeks ago, I got a press release regarding some new barrel bourbon releases. I love barrel, Mm -hmm. the brand, B-A-R-R-E-L-L. I love Barrel, but at the moment, I'm still sitting on some samples from a few months back. They're part of a growing collection of booze that I've set aside to try before year's end, which has long since outgrown my bar and migrated to the dining room table, (laughs) living room floor, and a kitchen cabinet or two. Parenthetical comment, as someone who never liked drinking at home, Writing about booze, but WFH has actually led me to drink a lot 
less. WFH. What the freaking hell? <laughs> White fans of happiness? Who finally has? Nope, because there's a has right there. But, fuck do I know. Do you wiener think, f- think the wien- internet knows? Wiener fanatic head hall. Hell hall. I think that's it. WFH. Work from home. So it's work from home. Okay. All right, continue. (laughs) Interestingly, Mm -hmm. my brother Murray has never liked drinking at home. Uh, You you know Murray as as well as a lot of people. He loves meeting us in Glasgow, loves, you know, bending the old elbow, doesn't like drinking at home. It checks out. There's a very social element to drinking. And when you're just at home, you're by yourself or maybe you're with your partner. There's something different about the fun of being amongst your own friends and then a bunch of strangers in a place where you're all doing the same thing, drinking and having a good time. I get it. He he is also Mr. Stand at the bar and elbow on the bar while bending the other elbow and having a chat. With anybody, right? Yeah, that's, that's I, him. I think part of it is being six foot six, he likes to be seen from all angles. <laughs> uh, that checks out. That checks out. So Kirk Miller continues, but maybe the problem isn't me. When it comes to whiskey, it can feel like we're drowning under a deluge of barrel strength, single barrel, anniversary, birthday, cask finished and other special releases to a degree that isn't fair to those who lack resources and or lack access to these often limited edition bottlings. Mm -hmm. I think that comment alone could be unpacked thoroughly, mm-hmm. but, but it's not why we're here. And so I'm actually going to put a fuller discussion of that off to the side. Okay. If, if it crops back up again in this conversation, we'll return to it. But this idea of fairness in the world of whiskey releases has been echoed in other places. This is not the first time I'm hearing fairness and to the degree that you and I, with our American releases and Single Cast Nation, mm-hmm. we consider fairness. But like I say... There's a big conversation there. <laughs> a big conversation there. Kirk Miller continues. It's an example of the paradox of choice. When you have too many choices, it's impossible to make one. But it might also be an example of the Moby problem. Not a perfect comparison, but back in 2017, and I, oh my God, it really is Moby. I thought, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know where he was going. I was going to say, but... I was going to say to you, like, I guarantee you're thinking of Moby, the musical artist, right now. <laughs> and then, as I kind of in my brain read on a little bit. Uh, he is talking about Moby the Musician. <laughs> yeah, n- not the white whale at all. <laughs> not a perfect comparison, but back in 2017, Baz Gasmeyer described a conundrum in which new Moby remixes mm-hmm. kept showing up on his Spotify release radar playlists every single week. There's a point where a seventh remix of the same song, or in this case a seventh special bottling of the same hooch is overwhelming. 
I see what he's trying to do there. <laughs> and I, 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 I don't necessarily agree with him that, uh, or I, I should say, I kind of agree with him that it is not the best analogy. I see what he's trying to say, and, and again, you, we can we can unpack that paragraph, especially if we look outside the world of American whiskeys. Anyway, please continue. <laughs> <clears throat> Kirk Miller continues, To challenge my whiskey angst, I contacted two brands I admire that have produced a fair amount of new, and he uses that in quotation marks, new product in 2020, and that also represent two completely separate business models. Mm -hmm. Barrel Craft Spirits is transparent about sourcing and blending their array of limited edition whiskies. And Maker's Mark is a distilling institution, as well as a company that has recently begun to ramp up new releases, some in small batches, some in permanent add-ons to their core lineup. Mm -hmm. As I've dubbed this Show Me the Proof, I'll present arguments for and against my question before reaching a final verdict. (laughs) Point. Even whiskey pros think there's too much whiskey. I'm in the bit. This is a quote. I'm in the business, and I think there's too much stuff out there. Admits Barrel founder Joe Beatrice. Quote continues. What's irritating are the one-offs, as in, am I going to see this again? I'm cheap, and I'm a customer. If I buy something and I get home and I don't like it, that's terrible. I may never buy that brand again which is why you can't put out something that isn't spectacular. Okay, now counterpoint. And, and then let, yeah, <laughs> let me give let me give this counterpoint and then you then you and I are going to pause here okay. and we'll we'll pivot back to this first point counterpoint. Yeah. Counterpoint. There's too much planning involved to make a quick buck. Whiskey takes time. And here comes a quote from Maker's Mark Director of Innovation, Jane Bowie. Oh, yeah. She says, it depends on the product, but for, say, a wood finish release, it might take two years of planning. And we have some longer term innovation going on. There's a 75 year old project that maybe my grandchildren will finish. Mm-hmm. And Kirk continues, and while Makers is experimenting a lot more. They have the same constraints as many other whiskey brands. Quote from Jane, We have one whiskey, and we tweak it with oak and proof and different flavour levers. And we only have so much whiskey mature every year. So we have to figure out what barrels and inventory go to what product. So there's there's another point coming up here from Kirk Miller, but mm-hmm. but pause there for a moment, Joshua. Mm-hmm. Kirk's point here: even whiskey pros think there's too much whiskey, but with a counterpoint that there's too much planning involved to make a quick buck. I don't necessarily see those two points as related, but as two separate points on the same scale, which is. Right now, there is ridiculous demand. Mm -hmm. And we won't 
we, the industry, want to be putting out the best whiskey we can. And so unless you've been responding to that demand for a few years now, you might not be able to put out the absolute best stuff. But you also ought not cheapen your brand by cutting a corner to make some money while demand is high. And I think Joe Beatrice is spot on here. And you and I have said this as independent mm-hmm. bottlers for, for years now. If you make one misstep on a special release, mm-hmm. the consumer will remember. <sighs> Yes, yes. I need to step back a little bit here. There, there are a couple of points that I want to make. And my first point, and, and both of them are, I think, potentially quite separate from one another. But my initial point is that using barrel craft spirits and maker's mark to do a point-counterpoint, I, I, I don't think that the author used the correct companies to make this point-counterpoint because the two operate in very different ways. Joe Beatrice at Barrelcraft Spirits, a.k.a. Barrel Bourbon, has bourbon, rye, Canadian rye, Polish rye, American single malt. He's got a palette of flavors to play with to create all of these different expressions in a much faster way than Maker's Mark could ever do. Maker's Mark makes a single product. Just like Jane had said, she can't compete with what Barrel is doing with all of these special releases. And to be quite honest, I don't think Maker's Mark should. So I don't I don't think comparing these two or using these two examples as a point counterpoint makes the author's own point as well as it could have been. But I think you're mostly correct in saying that. Yeah. The place where I think the author does have success is in saying barrel, mm-hmm. barrel bourbon, they don't have a standard lineup. Mm-hmm. So everything you get from Joe Beatrice is a moment, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas while Maker's Mark are innovating, and they are doing different things with wood and and time and proof, they still have a standard bottle that you can go to the liquor store any day of the week and pick up. Mm -hmm. And so they're still known for having a line, a standard offering. And I I think as they're bouncing off their standard offering, Mm -hmm. the question becomes, might you see too many experiments from mm. standard, established distillers. Yeah. I think that's kind of what was being teased out here by the author. Yeah, and that supposition could be correct. However, there was a concern that was brought up very early on, which was, you know, bes- besides the standard range, there's too many limited editions, right? Too many coming out. But the limited editions that these distilleries are putting out nowadays, at least, I think are the only way to truly capture the consumer's attention, right? If, if you're, if you're, that kill- is a fantastic point, right? If you're Kilhoman and we use this example a lot and you've got two standard products, Macker Bay and Seneg, 
Well, yes, you want to come out with something new and interesting that's different from what your competitors are doing. Keep your consumers intrigued, wanting more. What's what's happening next? And thus far, for them and for many other producers, I think they've seen some success at the same time. And, and granted, this is history. This is not recent, but this is history. You could see what Brooklady did early on, where everything was a special release and no one knew what the hell they were doing because they didn't know what the hell they were doing. I was trying so hard not to interrupt you while you made your point and now I wish I'd interrupted you because that was the point I was going to make. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag winning. (laughs) I just had this conversation with Jess the other day, Mm. which is... Kilhoman is known for a standard line. Macrobay, Sineg, Loch Gorm, 100% Isla. You can hang your hat on that standard line every day of the week. And then you might find, oh, Warehouse Liquors put out a special single cask. Jack Rose put out a special single cask. Wine Exchange in California put out a, a single cask. Um, we bought a single cask pick from the Southern California Whiskey Club, right? Th- this goes on and on and on and on and on. Over my shoulder is my you know, floor-to-ceiling shelving unit that's full of Kilholman. The point is exactly what you just made and Jess and I talked about when Brooke Laddie did it. There was no standard line for Brooke Laddie. Exactly. And as a consumer... I never knew where the ground was beneath my feet. Mm-hmm. With Kilholman, I can take any single cask I want and put it up against Macker Bay or Sineg or Loch Gorm or 100% Isla. And I know what that distillery is putting out every day of the week with their name front and centre. Mm. The rest is just riffing. Maybe in the language of the author... The rest are remixes. But, and where you and I maybe had the issue with the author, you know, making his point about remixes, is I'm ready for more Kilhoman single casts. I'm ready for more remixes. I'm ready for more riffing all the time. And I think that's a place where Maker's Mark is able to come at this. You know, you might get a store pick, you might get a bar pick, you might get a restaurant pick that's a riff on a known commodity. Well, and and I think, too, again, this, this article seems very much focused on American spirits. And back to the author's earlier comment where he was comparing whiskey to the, to the Moby remixes, I think with American whiskey, it's difficult in a, in a quick fashion to make two whiskeys far different than, right, the, the next one that much different than the previous one. Where in Scotch whiskey, you can change up the casks quite a bit. You can, if you have a non-peated spirit, put it into a cask that previously held spirit and change the flavors wildly. These aren't just remixes. These are re- reimagine. You're re- almost reimagining the song. So I think there's a, there's a wide spectrum of, of, of what this remix idea could be. So let's press on to the next point, counterpoint, and see if this puts some more leaves on the branches. From Kirk Miller, point. The marketing behind some of these limited editions is misleading. 
And then he quotes Joe Beatrice. It's all about intent. Our company's intent is clear. We do unique, limited edition releases on an ongoing basis, and our customer expects that. But if your intent is just to cash out, that's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. The quote continues. If one of these larger brands is releasing 100,000 bottles, that's not necessarily a limited edition. I agree with Joe there. <laughs> we may have been discussing that in whiskey circles for over a decade. <laughs> Counterpoint. If the new releases are special, why hold back? Everybody wins. Kirk Miller writes, Barrel Bourbon Batch number 25 and Maker's Mark 2020 limited release are some of my favourite bourbons of the year. Mm -hmm. If that means I haven't been able to dive into Maker's Mark 101, not technically new, but now with expanded distribution, or Barrel's recent and ambitious Armida release, A-R-M-I-D-A. I think that's Armida. Armida. Armida release. That's my problem. I can happily sip on what I already have. Plus, says Kirk Miller, new releases are good for the brands, which in a time of COVID is exciting. Another quote from Joe Beatrice, we have oddly had an unbelievable year. From May up to now, we're up almost 50% on even our optimistic projections. So it's, it's speaking to that demand, mm. right? And I like Joe's point here about clearly communicating with your consumer. Mm -hmm. Let your consumer know where you stand. Let them know what you do. Stick to what you do and do it well. And you'll find loyal consumers. Mm -hmm. Don't go looking for the quick buck. Even if that loyalty has turned into good money for you, in this crazy 2020 pandemic year, know that you had the right business model in place that was able to succeed in this new economy, in this new climate. I think that talks to our business. We are not in it for the quick buck. We're, we're sticking to our guns. We're bottling what we fall in love with. We've had a particular company vision from the outset and we've and we've stuck with it. So I think I, I, I like that. I like what Joe said there. Yeah, I thought that was pretty pretty clean, pretty clear. Yep. There's a there's a there's another great line here. Uh, I, I, I think this is the third and final point put forth it is. So Kirk says here, point, it's potentially a money grab. While Bowie wasn't arguing this point at all, she does note new whiskey releases appeal to a certain kind of customer. Quote, It's become a hobby. My brother in Nashville, this is like urban deer hunting. He sits in a parking lot <laughs> waiting for the store to open. It's waiting for the hunt. It's really fun. And if consumers are asking for it, why not bring it? Mm -hmm. End of quote. 
I love that idea of urban deer hunting. This hobbyist component of seeking out, searching out, hunting out these limited releases. Mm-hmm. I thought that was such a great point from Jane there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with it. I, I have a problem with a lot of these hunters. Well, and that, that I think speaks to a, another point. And actually, I just had a, a tasting over the weekend where we talked about this, where think of the guys who were getting into this a decade ago and have now walked away from it. Right, The idea of the hunt is no longer of interest to them. It's no longer fun to them. There's now another element to this hobby that has, has just kind of taken the fun out of it. It's, it, yeah, as, as one of those people, right? I remember, I remember, you know, mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. 10, 10, 15 years ago, and I would, I mean, this was, this was before you even had to hunt. If I wanted a bottle of George T. Stag, I'd go to a shop and I'd grab one. And I'd say, you know what? I'm going to take a second one and leave all the others that are on the shelf there. If I want some pappy, I would do the same. And then it got to a point where you kind of started to have to hunt for it. And that was fun. All of a sudden, people were finding out about these bourbons. And, and it did become fun. It, I, it reminded me of when new Star Wars action figures would come out and you'd look for the new one, like I was into that. Like that was fun. And then you would find the bottle at the proper price and you'd say, oh, this is fantastic. You'd open it and you'd share it. (laughs) And then fast forward another year or two and you're not finding it at retail. You search a little harder and then you do find one at retail. And then it just simply gets to the point where no one ever finds these bottles at retail. And the only way you find them is if one of these hunters stayed in the parking lot, found the bottle, bought it for 500 and then goes to some secondary page and sells it for 1000 I mean, unfortunately, and, that, and now it's no longer fun. It's, it's interesting because Kirk Miller goes on to mention Joe Beatrice here. And Kirk Miller writes, and Beatrice notes his core user might buy three of everything, one to drink, one to trade, and one to keep. Quote, if it's a hit, they can recoup by selling one, he says. Hmm. And that's a, that's a careful dance there. And it's something we do our utmost to control with Single Cast Nation Online. It is not something we can control with retail. Hmm. And, and so you and I have you know, talked to the membership of the nation. You know, we buy in pairs, one to drink, one to save for later. Mm-hmm. The idea of you know trading, the idea of of you know selling, it gets gets a little little tricky. Here's here's a very quick counterpoint, which I'm not sure what it has to do with the the original point being made here on the money. Maybe it's just generally in the money, right? You can do good with limited editions. Mm. Kirk Miller writes: Makers did rush release a new edition that coincided with the pandemic. But the reasoning was damn sound. The Lee Initiative Community Batch Bottling is a collaborative limited release bourbon where 100% of proceeds go to supporting the hospitality industry. It's a blend of 37 private selection barrel recipes 
quote-unquote, like a private selection infinity bottle. And they raised over $500,000. Wow. It almost right? sounds like what uh, what Scott and Becky Harris did with with their Catoctin Creek right. d- various collaborations that unfortunately didn't move because of COVID. And they came out with their own bottling. Okay, that's cool. Right. So, so, so the kind of the point counterpoint here is there's money to be made. It depends what you do with that money coming in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so let's let's wrap it up. I've got a verdict, two paragraphs, and then we're out of here with Kirk. Verdict: If you trust a brand, you can handle a busy release schedule, or just drink what you like. Quoting Joe Beatrice. We're experimenting and releasing stuff all the time. That's what we do, close quote. Mm -hmm. With Barrel, the constant innovation might be hard to keep up with, but that idea is literally built into their MO. So while their just-launched private release bourbon series might give me and other whiskey fans a panic attack, it's micro-blending to the extreme, where a variety of bourbons are spread across five different ages and blended into 48 different recipes, and each release is unique. I've come to the conclusion that I don't need to try them all. Want to? Yes. Need to? No. (laughs) He gets out of here by quoting Jane Bowie. Like anything, whiskey can be overwhelming. Find a distillery you love and follow them. Gravitate towards something you know and trust. I personally think it's an exciting time. People like choice. Interesting. Isn't it? What do you feel about Jane's comment there? Find, and specifically, find a distillery you love and follow them. In a sense... It's a point that I've been making for a few years now. Mm-hmm. And and of course, not just about distillery, but also about independent bottling. It's mm-hmm. a point you and I have been making for you know, mm-hmm. decades, even, even when we were bloggers. Yeah. I, I've even made this point about whiskey writers, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Yep. Right. <laughs> and so I think as we're finding more and more offerings, be it writing, be it distilling, be it independently bottling, we have said, find the one or the two or the three that works for you, right? The same is true of podcasting, for crying out loud, right? You're not going to get to listen to every single whiskey podcast. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get to read every single whiskey writer. You're not going to get to taste every single whiskey coming to market. Yeah. You're not going to get to listen to every album, to keep the musical theme from Kirk here, that's released in a given year. But if you can stay up to date with those you've discovered along the way, potentially adding someone else in along the way, mm. I don't think you can be asked to do much more than that. And anytime I read, you know, find a distillery you love, I think of our dear friend David Jennings, Rare Bird 101, you know, the passion, the excitement that he has around wild turkey. Does he drink other things? Yes, he absolutely he does. Does. Yeah. D- does he drink other categories? Yes, he absolutely does. 
But is he 100% committed to wild turkey? Yes, he is. And does he have a following of people who are 100% committed to wild turkey? Yes, he does. And so I think it's okay to have this line of specialization. And it's still okay to bounce off and experience other things along the way. Mm-hmm. But if if you hold up that you're going to buy everything, you're going to fail and you're going to be disappointed. If you hold up that you're going to taste everything, read everything, listen to everything, you're going to be disappointed. And so, you know, start to explore and then start to narrow that down and see where you find yourself. Yeah, yeah. I think, and, and this is what I liked about about Jane's final comment here. If the message of this piece is, hey, everybody, there's too much whiskey being produced and bottled. Jane's simple, I mean, this is, she's giving you a roadmap. Find a distillery you know, find a distillery you love and follow them. You don't necessarily have to get caught up in this going down that road and going down this road. That could be fun. And if you want to start doing that, please do, right? That's where, you know, that's why you and I and so many people are fans of independently bottled whiskey. That's why so many people are fans of brands like Barrel or Smooth Ambler or High West where they're coming out with these unusual and consistent where they're consistently releasing special editions, right? Um, yeah. You know, there's there's different paths that you could take, but I did I did like Jane's simple roadmap. At the very least, just find a distillery that that you love and follow them. See what they're gonna do. If you want to branch out afterwards, go ahead and do that. Well, and I've got two points as it pertains to our business, and these might be the last couple of points to get out of here on. Mm-hmm. But number one, you and I have found demand across the nation Mm -hmm. for single cast nation releases. And on one hand, we want to respond to that demand by making more offerings available. Mm -hmm. But we don't want to compromise quality. And we also understand that our nation members have finite budgets Yes, we're in the business of making money through selling whiskey, but we're also very aware that just like us, our nation members have finite whiskey budgets. <laughs> so there's a few things in play there. The second point is as we launch and build and expand a cask pick program, we know there are going to be single cast nation cask offerings that only exist at one retail store. Yeah. yeah. Or only exist in one state or only went to one club. Club, yeah. And if you're a single cast nation fan, and we're very fortunate that we have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful support and following, you might need to get to a point where you say I'm okay not getting that cask release that went to retail store X in state Y and one of the things I love 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 and I know you do too on our single cast nation members only Facebook page group 
group, mm-hmm. not Paige, is when nation members help other nation members get general release bottles yeah. that never made it to their particular state. Absolutely love that. I think it's such, it just highlights the community, this community that we've spent a long time growing and nurturing. Yeah. Yep. And then, and then if I can just close very, very quickly on, on my own kind of personal whiskey geekdom, I used to chase Highland Park. I, I was excited for new Highland Park releases. Mm-hmm. The Hyartas, the Magnuses, um, you know, the... God, Hyarta was so damn good. The so single good. casks that went to different places, went to Scandinavian, went on, you know, ferry lines and, and so on and so forth. I don't do that anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it's just too much. Mm-hmm. And... And I'm okay that some people are going to get that release in Distant Place X. Some people get a different release in Distant Place Y. And I'm not going to get to taste either of them. I've become okay with that. Yeah. And and I, I wish them luck in getting it. So, so very quickly, very, very quickly, before we get out of here, Joshua, is too much whiskey being released? Yeah... I I kind of don't think so. I don't. I don't. Right? I mean, we've been... If anything, I would say we could probably use a bit more. Right? Let's let's use this example of American whiskey. And just really quickly, because I know we've, we've got to close, but all of these special editions, when the BTAC comes out, the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection comes out, there's simply not enough of it. It's so finite that the only way you could buy it is on some secondary page and you're paying 10 times the value of the bottle. And the whiskey simply doesn't taste that good. It tastes as good as its retail price, period. And then regular bourbon bottles, right? You, you see, you've seen over the, over the past 5, 10 years, age statements go away. Elijah Craig used to be a 12-year-old bottling. And now it's a non-age stated whiskey because they don't have enough whiskey to make a 12-year-old release. And, and, and the list goes on. When it comes to scotch whiskey, I think we saw a similar thing. This is why we have non-age stated whiskeys. We can't do, and by we I mean the various distilleries, can't keep up with demand by offering their 10, 15, 18, 25-year-old whiskey anymore. They can offer that, but prices are obviously going up, and more non-age stated whiskeys are being released. Now, is there potentially too much non-age stated whiskey going out there? That part I don't necessarily know. The last thing I'll say is I'm going to contradict myself a little bit. I think there are some cases where you will find there's been too much whiskey released, and I will use the Game of Thrones series, right? When that came out, it was supposedly limited edition, very hard to get, everybody went nuts for it, and then they released, they just dumped a whole bunch more on the market, and now you can buy the the nine-year-old Lagavulin for 25 bucks a piece with some shops, right? So, So I think there definitely are some big faux pas out there 
where you say, oh, geez, they've just got too much of that liquid to go around. But in some other areas, I would say the answer is no, that we could probably use a bit more. I feel like we're just beginning to answer this question, Joshua. <laughs> and and to have to wrap it up here is painful. I'm in pain right now trying to wrap this up. I want to make one more final comment. And I'll, I'll do it very, very quickly. Person on that tasting that I did over the weekend that I mentioned earlier on this podcast, person says to me, I'm having such difficulty getting my hands on E.H. Taylor. It used to be available everywhere at a great price, and now I can't find it. Should I continue to search for it? Should I start looking at secondary and start paying more money for it? And I said, look, it's E.H. Taylor. We've bought it, we've searched for it, we've enjoyed it, we've shared it. Go find the next E.H. Taylor. Mm-hmm. Leave, leave this end of the spectrum to do whatever it wants to do with E.H. Taylor. Go off and find the next thing, right? Mm-hmm. Don't keep chasing the thing that you've enjoyed for the decade now that it's hard to find and now that it's getting too expensive on the secondary. Go find the next thing. And that's what I would say to all of our listeners. If you're getting frustrated with the secondary, with the demand, with the hunting, Mm. Go be the person that finds the next thing and start telling your friends about that. That's what I did with Colholman when they started distilling in December of 2005. Mm. Released anticipation, released their inaugural bottling, started to release Young Macker Bay. I started telling my friends about Colholman. Mm-hmm. Now we're deep, deep, deep into Colholman. Yep, there you go. All I can say, Joshua, is that we tried to record a tight 60. That's all I can say. Well, we shall see how the editing comes out. Uh, Jason, it's been a good year of Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey. I appreciate you hosting this sister podcast. And uh, I will see you again on January 20. I will be here, ready to host you. Wishing a very happy festive season to all of our dear, dear listeners. You're all loved, you're all cherished. We will catch you on the flippity flop in 2021. Cheers, all. Cheers. Cheers.